Welcome to Centering, the Asian American Christian Podcast. Each week, we explore questions of faith, community, and identity. This is Malba Matthew and Dur Lore, your hosts for this season. In this season, we are going to dive into the difficult and complex task of being a part of a community or multiple communities. Thanks for joining us. All right, today on the Centering Podcast, we want to take a look at a specific Asian American community and see what we can learn from the particular experience of a clergy member. We know that particular communities of faith have their own unique ways of fellowship and the challenges that come along with that. And so today, we hope to dive into one particular Christian context that we think our listeners will have much to take away from today. With us today, we have a guest that I'm really pleased to introduce to the Centering Podcast audience, Reverend Larry P. Varghese. He's a minister of the Martha Ma Church, which is the denomination that I grew up in. So some of you may know it's one of several churches or denominations from the Indian Christian tradition that's liturgical based. So in case you're not familiar, uh, the Marathoma Church describes itself as apostolic in origin, universal in nature, biblical in faith, evangelical in principle, ecumenical in outlook, Eastern in worship, democratic in function, Episcopal in character, and reformed in theology. It's hard to say all of that in one breath. I love it. <laughs> yeah, no, that's the summarized version. <laughs> yeah, it's complex. Stri- attempting to capture that. Yeah, that's right. no, in real life, it's much more complicated. <laughs> that was a simplified version. Well, welcome, welcome, Reverend Larry. Thank you. Thank you for uh, having me. It's a pleasure to be here with you guys for uh, this uh, episode. Yeah, I might refer to you. So Reverend Larry or Larry Etchen, as he's affectionately called in our contacts, it's hard for me to break that habit. So I'll call him Larry Etchen. Larry currently ministers to a Marthama parish in the Silicon Valley, which is primarily made up of first generation immigrant families, correct? Right, that's correct. But I also know you work across the U.S. with and many different regions with different ministries, like the Youth Fellowship of the Diocese. Right. So the Martha community has been in this diocese. So the diocese is North America and, and Europe also. And we've been here now. I think it's we're getting into the third and fourth generations. It just so happens that uh, the parish that I'm serving here in the Bay Area is all first-generation immigrants. Actually, let's step back for a minute. Can you give us an overview of your path to ministry and the journey up to this point? Sure, sure. So I was born and raised in, in this denomination, uh, in the Martha Church. Parents came in the mid-70s. We had all the struggles of a normal first-generation immigrant family and all of the uh, hopes and aspirations of them as well. So uh, one brother went off to become a doctor and then uh, I was destined to become an engineer. I, I say it like that, but I actually enjoyed it. So I went and finished my degree in electrical engineering and uh, took the long route, went towards my PhD in engineering and then decided, actually, I, I just love ministry. And it was a strange hop, it sounds, but somehow with all the small little details of my life, that was actually a natural transition for me. And to stay in the this church just felt like the place to be. I, I, I knew the community. I liked what we stood for as a parish. And I was also very critical of our church as well. So I think that helped 
to see the good and the bad and that made me not naive about wanting to stay and just continue to deepen the roots of where I where I started so that's that's how I ended up where I am yeah it's fascinating you mentioned the being critical of the church but also clearly having a love for the church i think that's a tension that many people probably struggle with mm-hmm. some people have struggled with it to the point of saying you know i just abandon ship and I'm done with it. What keeps you committed to the call of ministry, to the community of faith? Sure. So, I mean, there's many different angles to it. I think on one angle, I, as I started to come back to the church, there was a period where I was kind of just going to different churches. And then as I came back to this church and started to understand what it stood for, um, and I really learned to appreciate it. And I realized there's a lot of kids who are here who don't know the background and they're just coming because in our culture, you do what your parents tell you to do. And um, I, I felt a, a strong calling to be there for that younger generation that's coming up in the church. Um, ironically, I hardly get to see that community because the places that I've been posted have always had mostly first-generation immigrants with really little kids. So that target audience, I, I haven't gotten a chance to really spend time with. But on the other hand, like I just having grown up in this church, and I think I even said this at some point in my ordination interview that we had, like it was just too many of a string of coincidences, like Thomas going to India, of all the different places, and somehow it, filtering through all of history and you have this church and my parents are part of it. They come here, they planted it here. And now I'm here. Uh, Like I just felt myself in a long trajectory and I felt like this makes sense for me to continue that path that, that seemed quite natural and not to change course. Though I know that some people get that. Like some of my good friends have done that for some reason. I just felt like uh, this is the direction I, I should maintain or go. That's good. As a Martha myself, I I struggle with that tension. And Larry Itchen is one of the few priests in our church that his presence keeps calling me back. I'm like, there's there's hope. There's people (laughs) that care about, you know, that tension. Um, That's a lot of them in their space. You know, uh, as much as I love the church uh, and I hope that you come back or or feel like you always have a place, right? I I don't know why. I think it's because of the openness of my parents. I'm quite content with other churches, other denominations, other styles. And like my thing isn't to uh, necessarily expand this church, but for those people who feel most comfortable, that's my target audience. Yeah, great. Let me, let me jump to this question. Um, uh, Reverend Larry, what would you say are the hallmarks of community in your context? Or to kind of put it another way, what does fellowship look like uh, in your parish? It definitely looks very Indian. Um, the style that we fellowship, the ways in which we show love and affection to each other are all through that sort of cultural uh, framework. For example, uh, the level of fellowship that we have is that everyone should kind of know how everyone else is doing. And these casual, hi, how are you doing, doing fine kinds of lines that are, are becoming more and more common now, though they're, they're not expected from the older crowd. Like they want to know, okay, now like what's really going on? 
and uh, where are you in life and why you know the, the mm. question that we me and melba both heard like so when are you getting married right that that <laughs> level of you know we call it invasiveness but yeah. in their mind it's fellowship the, uh, to them it's like you we're all one family we have the right to know <laughs> what's happening oh that's good yeah so, yeah anything else you want to add to that I, I was just kind of reflecting back i think that's so good but please if you if you have more that you want to kind of add to that other hallmarks of community for you? One other hallmark of our community is that a lot of our functioning is very family-based. Mm-hmm. Um, we are, our weaker points, I would say, as a church is catering to these small pockets of individuals. For example, like uh, there are individuals who are in the uh, out-of-college range, but not quite yet married range, Mm-hmm. Um, they don't really fit into this family structure. And we have groups for area prayer family groups to get together. We have young families fellowships. And then we have the younger kids fellowships. But to some degree, I feel like we're so family oriented that we don't know what to do with certain people. Um, on one hand, it's good because we, like, it's nice. Anyone can be your mom or your dad. When I was growing up, any parent had the full right to scold me um, for misbehaving. But on the other hand, like if you don't have that respect for just being an on your own independent individual, there's like, it's hard to find a place to fit into the wider fellowship of the church. Sometimes I feel. Mm. I mean, as you're sharing that, it makes me think of a lot of the uh, Hmong American churches. My ethnicity is Hmong. Although I didn't grow up in a in a monk church, a lot of my friends and my wife did, and they always talked about how if you were a uh, you know like a, a middle or late twenty year old single adult, um, it's almost like they didn't know how how to categorize you. Are you a real adult? You're not married. You don't have your family yet, but you're too old to join youth group too. And so I'm just I'm thinking about that as you're sharing uh, what you just shared, and uh, that's, I see that as a parallel. That that kind of segues nicely into the next question I have here is um, what do you see as obstacles or challenges to building community in your context? Yeah, so specifically like in the San Jose context, we have a lot of guys in the IT sector, um, a lot of techies. Uh, people are on a work visa status, so they're not sure if they're going to be here past this year or past this project. And so the idea sometimes of really investing into the community is it's, it's too hard for some people. Uh, they would rather just come to service and then go back and kind of maybe protect themselves from getting into a deep relationship. So that's, that's one struggle that we do find. Mm. On the other hand, you know, one of the ways that makes it easier is because we all mostly look the same. And so we kind of rally around that Indianness, but then, the the Indianness always will clash, or the Easternness will always clash with the Westernness, right? And so, you don't get a lot of space within our Eastern kind of fellowship to just be private or do your own thing. And so sometimes, what feels like a good thing, like oh, everyone's easily coming together, ends up being a little too in your face, and a challenge for having healthy boundaries starts to present itself where some people just, you know, they, they want to be a part of it, but not like have everyone in their business. So that, that kind of goes both ways, I suppose. Yeah. That also reminds me of the term, you know, the model minority myth, 
right? If you don't fit into that, you know, in San Jose, a lot of, there is pressure to kind of fit into that. Do you really feel accepted in, in the church community? Yeah. Is there allowance for a diversity of career choice, partner choice, all those things? Right. And it's, it's hard to say that there isn't freedom. There really is freedom. It's just, it's really upon the individual to exercise that freedom. For example, like in our church, we have a mixed race marriage and the wife is Canadian and she plugs in so well with the community. I mean, maybe she plugs in well because she's so willing to adapt to how people are and she's joined the choir, she sings in Malayalam, she's tried to learn bits uh, here and there. And I've seen that in other churches too, but it definitely is harder. You have to go out on a limb. And even I can say that like I identify myself more as American than as Indian. And that creates a challenge for me to really get enmeshed in people's lives. I've had one one church member say, yeah, I know that we're not going to connect. Mm, wow. He's born in a different country than I am. And that's, that, that is a challenge. The thing that unites us so much is also the thing that really draws a hard boundary sometimes. Mm. Wow. You know, as you're mentioning that, Reverend, uh, you know, I'm looking at you, I'm thinking you're not, the, I'm not going to ask you your age, but you're not, you're not that old, you know, and in my setting, a young pastor, young reverend serving kind of a first immigrant church, I think would be up against a lot in terms of just, um, as you mentioned, being more influenced by Western culture, but maybe leading uh, a parish or a congregation that might have influences from, from the motherland. What has that been like for you? Do you find resistance there leading folks who are older than yourself in your parish? Definitely. I mean, that's why I have a beard now. <laughs> kind of established myself somehow. It, it has been challenging because it's an uphill climb for me. I have to know more about the church and prove myself a lot more than someone else coming from India would have to. Mm -hmm. I actually don't mind because it, it keeps me on my toes. I've had a, a senior uh, member, you know, disagree with me on an issue and said, you know, Achim, that's not how we do it. And then I happened to remember exactly how our church history went. And so I was like, well, actually, that is how we do it in our church. Mm. And so when I feel like it's my way of addressing that problem is just to appeal to the traditions that they give authority to. And if I can understand how the church works and understand the patterns and our theology really well, uh, people eventually, they do give me credit. And then on the other side, it's just the way you relate to people. I try to be very relaxed with everybody. And if a senior person sees that I'm trying to speak their language, even if it's not perfect, when they see me going and spending time with, you know, a senior mom or dad, um, that means a lot to them. And they're willing to accept me because I think there might be that initial, who is this guy? He doesn't know anything about us. When they realize I do know and I do care, I think that I care part really helps to, you know, neutralize things. what would you say then to someone who hasn't reconciled that feeling of not being fully accepted, but has that same, you know, cultural connection 
to, you know, their immigrant church because maybe their parents are going there and, you know, they're trying but struggling. Can I ask, like, what are some of the struggles? Is that okay? Feeling accepted, being judged for being different mm. um, or being maybe too American or not having enough Indianness. Yeah. So those challenges will be there. And, and I'll admit that most of my friends in my age bracket have left the church. Mm. Uh, some of my closest friends have, you know, gone off to local churches. They've not left the faith, uh, you know, by God's grace. Uh, all, yeah, I don't know any of them who have left the faith. But yeah, they don't quite fit in. I don't know why I'm able to, other than just to say that, you know, it's the grace of God. I I really think that I I fight to stay in. Like I I won't let anyone kick me out. That's kind of how I view it. And I think because of that, like I get stuff from people, uh, criticisms at times, and it does affect me. I'm a human being and, and I need like someone to lean on. And so I have my wife for that. But time and time again, though, I, I still keep saying to myself, this isn't, this isn't just your church. It's, it is my church. And, and that kind of like saying I am claiming ownership helps me to stay there. It's not an easy task because you really have to fight. And I'm, I'm an action, right? I have this thing so I can easily say, this is my church. If I'm a lay person, it's, it is much harder. But I was a lay person too, so uh, there is a way to do it. And, and it's going to be different for boys versus girls, right, in our culture. Oh, yeah. So that challenge is there too, but I, the possibilities exist. Mm. It's just it's going to be heavily dependent on the individual. The community is not going to really go out of their way at that point. They just don't know how to. It's not that they're ill-willed. Yeah, and... You know, there is so much unconditional love. I, I do see that, you know, as someone that's grown up in this particular church. Sometimes it, it doesn't get expressed as well. I went into therapy because I saw that need. Like, how do we help families express love, unconditional love? And I, you know, I'm seeing, especially now, what's emerging for me in my work as a therapist is how powerful that can be for someone's growth in their life. I think there are a lot of people in the broader Asian American community, too, who struggle to experience or really know they have a sense like, you know, my community you know, loves me. Do they accept me? And um, that is definitely a very real struggle for people living in America um, and wanting to still identify with their roots. Yeah, I know. I think the for me, like just theologically like knowing that christ accepts me even when i don't fully know how to identify myself kind of like if god doesn't draw me or put me in a box uh, why should i let others i mean for, for people in this category like i i completely understand you know having one foot in and one foot out um, in fact, for a phase of my life, uh, that's how I was too. I would come to the Marthama Church, plug in, give, do my part with the Sunday school. And then when it came time for the Malayalam service, so our language that we would do our services in every other Sunday would be our native language, Malayalam. On those Sundays, I'd go to another church. Mm. And my parents were the type who, who understood that. And for them, as long as I was chasing Christ. They didn't seem to mind. 
And because they didn't mind, I felt comfortable enough to come back and forth. They heard it from other people. That, hey, why isn't he coming all the time? Um, but they had their hearts set. I had my heart set. And we just, we went with what we felt is okay. Yeah. It sounds like that freedom that you were offered was grounded in yeah, the freedom that even God gives us, right? And yeah. you know that really allowed you to stay close and not because you had to, but by choice. Right. Yeah, the choice is important. Yeah. I'm wondering, what do you hope for? Right? What do you envision the future of you know, your church community would look like? And maybe even what are you already starting to see emerge now? Yeah. That's a, a great question, and I, I've been giving it a lot of thought. At, at one point, <clears throat> I think I hoped that our ethnocentric kind of church that we have would broaden and you'd have all ethnicities coming in. I don't know where, I'm not sure, because now the way I see it, is that this church offers something unique. And I think every church offers something unique. Let me put it this way. I'm not sure why I assumed that mixing all the flavors together is the right thing to do. <laughs> if we were a bunch of different ethnicities, I definitely think there would be a lot of benefits from it, right? Of course there would be, but there also would be some stuff that we'd miss out on. Right. now. The stuff that we would gain, I think you can gain by going to any of the other churches that already do that. Mm -hmm. But the stuff that we have, like, I, I feel like that's our unique gift. No one else is doing it. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know <laughs> if that's too simplistic of a way of thinking it through. Like, I, I still do believe that we will get to a point where we can be a Marthama church that has its ethos originating from India even though we're not Indians. I like to think that I'm partial proof of that. I'm more American than I am Indian, but I love this, the ethos of this church. And to broaden it culturally would be a good thing, but I wouldn't want to go out uh, too far just to broaden it culturally at the expense of losing our ethos. I, I, re I really resonate with what you're sharing there. Um, when I think about the Hmong American community, we've only been in America for um, 40 years, so real early. And um, you know, the mass first mass conversion to Christianity was as late as 1950. So we're, we're we're new to the Christian faith and we're new to America. And so there's a real strength in ethnic specific churches that you know you, you cannot get if you go somewhere else right um, and so what i'm kind of hearing you say reverend is that there is an ethos that's from india that if you're indian you can come to a parish like the one that you lead and you can be nourished spiritually you, you know with fellowship you can be you know fed through relationships and community in a way that you cannot in a, in a different congregation and you don't need any other reasons to contend for Kind of the ethnic specific churches i i just i really res resonate with that and so kind of launching off of that as you think about those who maybe have left the marthama church uh, maybe have gone to other you know predominantly white churches or multi-ethnic churches do you sense that they would 
someday uh, yearn for a kind of like a second gen, third gen kind of Marthama church, English speaking Indian church. And it, are there currently those kinds of churches uh, right now? Yeah, that, that's a good point. So we do notice that like people in my age bracket, the second gen guys who leave the church and join another church, there's a tendency for them to come back around their time that they have kids and they want their kids to know what it feels like to be Indian. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not a big fan of that, but they, that's, that is practically what happens. And so some families come that way. On the East Coast and in Dallas, though, uh, is a new thing happening where second gen guys are coming together and they are starting English only Marthama churches. And they are, I would say, you know, in a good way, they're pushing the boundaries of how open culturally can we be while still maintaining uh, like our liturgical identity and our Eastern style of worship. So without losing those elements, like can we at least remove some of the hurdles that people would have to jump over to come into the community? So I know like on the East Coast, there's a, there are there are some other ethnicities who who join and feel like they're a part of it. That's really encouraging. And and again, in the in the Hmong American churches, we're starting to see some of that too. So it's it's encouraging just to see you know those parallels and um, how how these new communities are forming, so that you know our second gen, third gen folks don't feel like they're just wandering in the desert, kind of with no place to call home. Yeah, yeah. I also wanted to highlight what you said about the Eastern ethos. I would love, like, one thing I would hope for is more a better articulation of what that actually means, especially living in America. You know, I think a lot of times the majority white culture, you know, becomes the entire framework. And at the same time, I'm also noticing, I think, an interest in an Eastern spirituality, you know, in the U.S. And so... Yeah, that that seems like an area that I hope we continue to build upon um, and not lose as we become establish more American roots and move towards like the English churches, but still maintain that Eastern ethos that you mentioned. Yeah, totally. And and that is something that like I, I know that we've brought up on different like clergy gatherings and things like that, being able to articulate it well. The challenge I feel that we have, you know, to critique our church, um, most of our uh, ministers are coming from India. So for them, this is not really a question that they needed to wrestle with. Um, It's like asking uh, a fish to teach you what water feels like. I mean, that doesn't, it's just such a natural thing. They don't even know how to articulate. You need someone outside to kind of explain what it is. So I feel like, like, you know, people like you and me and those who are, have one foot in this culture. Now, when we look at the church, I think we can try that, that experiment of, of trying to articulate it out. That's right. Larich, and I really appreciate your willingness to highlight both the strengths and the opportunities for growth and really the difficulty of that, right? What you said about being a fish in water, right? Like not really being able to describe that water. That's definitely a difficult task. And in some ways, it is an experiment. It's funny putting it that way because sometimes you just want to reap the benefits and it's hard to put in that work and know that it's not maybe not going to come in your lifetime or in your experience as a young person or, you know, like you mentioned, our generation are probably the best equipped to take on that task. 
even though it is so intimidating. But thank you for, in a way, highlighting that as a point maybe where we could work towards and you know contemplate as, okay, what's, what can be my role here? Thank you. It's good to hear these questions and kind of think through them again. It's not just the question, but it's like getting the question from a particular perspective that then helps me to reformulate. Like if members in my own church ask me these questions, I have stock answers perhaps. <laughs> but to know how to articulate it so it makes sense now, it, it helps me. Like even when you mentioned this is an experiment, like you're, yeah, <laughs> we don't know what we're doing, if we're doing it right. Um, we're, just, yeah. we're just trusting God. And we're going forward and where he leads us to realize that there's something we could do better, we'll try and do it better. Uh, And we just, we move forward in faith and hope for the best. Absolutely. That sounds good. This is Centering, the Asian American Christian Podcast. Thank you for joining us. Please tune in each week as we discuss community and identity. And remember, God loves and embraces all of who you are.